What's up, That's What She Said with Danny podcast. We have an awesome guest today. We're going to talk to Jason Hayward, the all-star, the World Series champion, Cubs outfielder, about Ooh. so much today. We've got a huge podcast to get to, and a lot of it is going to center around what a insane year 2020 was. We'll talk about the shutdown. We'll talk about playing baseball during COVID and any sort of health concerns, how that was like for him. And then we'll get into the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and how that wove itself into baseball as well and what he sees going forward in the future. We're also going to debut a new segment, Danny. I'm super excited. Yes. Back of the baseball card. Matthew Orso and Craig Norquist of MLB Network both helped me with this segment. We dug into Jason Hayward's career and found some hard-hitting trivia questions to ask him about himself. How well does he know his own career? We're going to find out today. You know what's awesome is having a 10-year veteran on the podcast and someone who can just speak to so many different things, and he's so thoughtful, and I'm just so excited to have him. We're going to talk to him about the legendary, iconic rain delay speech, Game 7 of the World Series, and hear how that went down. And I'm hoping that he gives us a little insight into the conversations and, and really like the nitty-gritty of that moment, because as you mentioned, it, that's part of his legacy. It will be forever. We're also going to ask him about Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. We know the Cubs are going to have a shakeup. And what is something that people don't know about those two? He's going to give us a little insight into that. And then also the community service man. All he does is give, give, give. And I think it's so important to let athletes talk about that. They don't often want to do that. They want to keep it private. But we want to know, you know, why is it so important for him to give back to the communities in Chicago? And of course, in Georgia, his hometown, um, his home state. So I I'm so excited to have this guy, Lex. All right, let's go ahead and welcome Jason Hayward into the podcast. All right, so let's just start with how wild this year was. And going back to the start of the pandemic, obviously the shutdown of the season, a lot of people, you know, going through so much this year and such trying times and getting through it in different ways. For you, on the lighter side, you decided to invite two dogs into your family. So tell us about your puppies because they are so adorable. Thank you. Um, my fiance and I, um, we knew we already had our mindset on getting one dog um, and she wanted to get a Samoyed, well, just I think a Northern breed, a white dog that looks wolfy, um, you know, in, in that family. And you know, we both landed on that one. She looks fun and um, just down to do whatever we're down to do. Uh, so we already knew we were going to get her and we had her ordered and we're out in spring training. Well, we're out in the quarantine um, spring training in Arizona. So that's where we ended up having to have her shipped. But in the meantime, we saw ourselves going into quarantine and we're like, okay, we know we want to get a second dog. Uh, originally, we were going to wait till after the season to do that. Thought it might be easier, but then we said, we know we're going to be locked down, so why not look for another one? And that's how we landed on our puppy, uh, Hove, the Rottweiler. Um, he came to us first, actually. And when he got to us, we were just like, okay, like now we got a dog, we're settled in. Um, this is going to be so fun. It's going to keep us on a regular schedule during quarantine, make things feel a little bit normal. And then when Shy got there, we're like, okay, now we got two of everything. <laughs> um, so it was it was a lot of fun. It's it's been a lot of fun. But um, no, I think their personalities have helped us definitely get through uh, a tough year. You know, being together, being um, alone, having to be isolated from everyone, especially when I had to go and be away for the season somewhat and my fiance had to stay back behind, not be able to go to games the same way. So 
they're our love and joy. They're a lot of fun. And, and we love coming home to Hovenstein. Oh. Jay, I grew up with two Samoyeds, so I'm super um, in love with that breed. They're my favorite. They're oh. diggers, and they love digging up the yard, so <laughs> get ready for that. <laughs> that was pretty wild. Are you a total dog dad now? I'm a total dog dad, but um, you know, my fiance, she helps with everything. I feel like that's something that's the least of my worries um, when it comes down to getting ready for a game or coming home late at night. She's got them all day, every day. But in the off season, I think that's that's a part of my routine that I that I take pride in trying to be around for and helping out um, and, and freeing her up. So it's probably nice now you get to come home, watch them grow a little bit, spend time with them. And uh, you alluded a little bit to some challenges, right? The puppies help kind of quell uh, different things in life. But maybe if we could go back for a second and ask you what some of the challenges were. It seems like a, a really simple question, but I think every single mm -hmm. person is different and every athlete dealt with different things. For you, what were some of the challenges playing during uh, COVID, playing baseball during COVID? Um, I think the biggest part was not having your family be able to go to the games and, and be there and, and feel that support. Um, not being able to travel with them at all. Um, feeling like you had to walk on eggshells when you left the house and, and, and feeling like your, your partner and everyone around you had to do the same. You know, it was, it was a tough time, especially, you know, baseball, the summer sports, Chicago, it's nice outside. That was probably one of the few times that people were able to actually get outside and move around and, and kind of stay away from each other. So I think just the weight that we had to carry on our shoulders of just making sure you were able to get tested and making sure you stayed away from everyone, um, sanitizing everything, getting to the field and feeling like you had to walk that many extra steps on a daily basis just to get food. Um, just, just having to think about things over and over and over again, when a lot of things we've done by now are routine and habit. And I remember getting home um, probably a week after the season and just laying there and, and telling my fiance, I'm like, Hey, uh, that was hard. You know, that, that was hard to do. Now I can kind of breathe, relax a little bit and, and come try to feel like a normal person again. Wow. And then in the midst of this global pandemic, which we've never experienced in our lifetimes before, there's a social justice movement, right? For an end to systemic racism. And the main message that I think Danny and I and a lot of people took away from it was it's not about being not racist, it's about being anti-racist and defining mm -hmm. what that means and having that be a thread of our culture, not only now, but going forward. So mm -hmm. for you, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests and what we saw, how it integrated into baseball, what did you see and, and what moved you the most from the movement? Um, I would say it was twofold for me because before we started playing during the quarantine, um, a lot of athletes in Chicago, along with myself, from different sports, had a chance to get together and, and be a part of, you know, not the problem, but be a part of the solution. Um, bringing kids together with police officers, giving them a chance to dialogue and, and break the ice and, and ask questions, answer questions, and, and bring positivity to that situation. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, missing out when it comes to terminologies and people being, under, being able to understand, you know, what their perspective is as a police officer, what their perspective is as a kid growing up in certain neighborhoods when, when all you see is negativity around that on the TV. Um, and then the second part as the baseball player, when the season started, 
being able to have those conversations with teammates, um, being able to rally together with other black players, other African-American players, coaches, and, and people involved with baseball throughout the season, just to put our message out there, um, to finally, I guess, join in and not be afraid of speaking up on the things going on in our community. To me, I felt really proud. You know, it wasn't easy to do. Um, it's, it's never easy to talk about things because I feel like most people, a lot of people like myself included, don't like to complain. You don't, you don't want to feel like you're asking for a special treatment. Um, like you said, you just want anti-negativity, anti-racism, you want social equality. And to do that, sometimes you have to point out what's really going on. And it was just nice to be a part of that finally, instead of feeling like we had to walk on eggshells and, and not speak up when we've done that for so long. And there was another moment uh, this year where you were able to do that as well. After Jacob Blake was shot, you were the lone cub to sit out in protest. And, you know, this comes, it's, it's a heightened moment um, in the country after George Floyd was killed, Verona Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. And, you know, we're reading about how your teammates mentioned wanting to sit out in support with you and the community and you encourage them to play. So I think Lex and I kind of want to know, you know, can you walk us through that moment and how that came about and co what conversations were like and ultimately what that night meant to you? Um, no, I think when you talk about things being difficult in this kind of season, I think that was the other part of it was trying to put the message out there without offending people, um, trying to be on the same page, um, you know, what do you want to err on the side of caution or the side of trying to be on the, on the right side of history, um, so to speak. And for us that night, it was, it was hard because we had heard the NBA was not going to play. And that was kind of coming across early throughout the day. And we're like, okay, we see what they're doing. They had no thoughts of it at all um, when it came to baseball, but because we're in Detroit at the time, um, the Dodgers are out in LA, I believe, or San Francisco, one of, one of those two. And, we hear that they're deciding not to play. And, and a bunch of us, um, you know, African-American players in the Players Alliance group chat, you know, people start talking. And, and you hear that the Dodgers are, are not thinking about not playing. You hear about other teams saying, hey, like, should we play? Should we not? What, what do we have going on? And for us, this is 40 minutes before game time. And you have John Lester already in the bullpen getting loose. Um, I think this was the last game of our road trip. And we had a day off the next day, much needed for our team. Everybody's been working their tails off um, to get to this point. We're trying to win a division and get into the postseason. You know, this, this was a huge goal of ours as a club. And for me, you know, it, it was tough because I needed to sit and I knew that was the right thing to do. I, I needed to continue to back up what we had been talking about was be a part of your community. Don't put anything else above that. And that was important. Um, but my manager, David Ross, called him into his office and asking me how I wanted to handle it. He basically said, look, like I'm, I'm putting this in your court. I want you to be able to make the decision. I don't want you to go out here and feel like you need to play or I don't, I don't want you to feel like no one addressed it with you. I want to have that conversation and open up the floor to you and give you a chance to feel like you can do what you need to. And so I did just that and, and let him know I, I think I need to sit this game. But I told him I want everyone else to play. Mm. and. I mean, I had multiple guys coming in the clubhouse after they went outside on the line and stretched and got loose, come back into the clubhouse with tears in their eyes saying it doesn't feel right to not play. And 
at the end of the day, we we got to talk about it maybe a week a week or so later when we got back home and it had a chance to digest everything. I said, you know, I still think the right thing for us to do is to play because I didn't want something negative to take advantage of what we had all worked to do. Mm. You know, we had so many people going through so many things to get to that point, staying healthy, staying in shape um, during COVID, as you guys saw, or I'm sure, you know, some people talked about the Cubs had no one test positive during the regular season. So I just didn't want a negative situation to take a hold of something and put us in a spot where we had to have another doubleheader, which we had already had a bunch of those with St. Louis. We had a few more coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we had another one with Cincinnati at the time as well. So in my mind, we all did the right thing and I had everyone's full support. Um, I knew they were going to take some heat for that, but I I did the best I could to make sure everyone knew that it was my decision to ask them to continue to play and and much appreciate. And just a quick follow-up, Lex. So all of that being said, you know, when you, when you feel that from your teammates and your manager, you know, what does that make you feel? It's, it's very emotional because, you know, as we talk about, it's not something easy to bring up to discuss. Um, and that was a game time decision. Um, so for me, it, it made me continue to feel proud of just the organization I was a part of, the teammates that I had, coaching staff that I had, um, everyone. It wasn't just them. It was, I mean, training staff, doctors, front office people. Um, Theo immediately after the game reached out and, and applauded me for it and said I did the right thing. And and he made made it known that he was gonna also donate some of his salary for that day, um, for that weekend. Jackie Robinson weekend was was coming up as well. Mm-hmm. Um so just having everyone's all around support, Ryan Dempster, I'm trying not to leave people out, but it was just <laughs> you know, there was it was it was a um a, a lot of support thrown my way and thrown our way uh mm-hmm. to support families, to support teammates and other players around the game, which was awesome. So as a black player in baseball and what you saw this season, how do you feel moving forward in terms of continuing this conversation? Cautiously optimistic? Do you feel excited? Do you feel like something actually broke and we're getting through to people who didn't understand before and that this is something that's sustainable and long lasting, not only in the community, in, you know, in our culture, in the world, but Mm -hmm. in baseball specifically. I would say I feel optimistic. I would say I feel, I feel like I have a huge responsibility in continuing um, to communicate, to, to make our voices heard the right way and allow people to see more of what we mean, more of who we are. And I don't think, I don't think we were afraid to be ourselves, but I think we knew that we had to tread lightly and, and we knew just history and over time that not seeing many of us around, we, we know what it's like when it, when it comes down to being in a clubhouse and, and this is not quote unquote our sport. Um, you know, so just to to have that all in mind, I feel like we have people's attention now. And that's why I say I feel a huge responsibility in just making sure to grow the game and to be a, a great leader for not only my teammates, but for guys like Kyle Lewis, when a rookie of the year, Devin Williams, you know, reaching out and, and extending any help they need, any any questions they have on or off the field and, and letting them know that, you know, you guys are here, you belong here and that, yes, we are who we are. Um, but don't be afraid to be that and, and enjoy it and, and continue forward. I just have one more 
um, Lex. So I, Jason, I work a lot with amateur baseball, uh, a lot of high school guys, a lot of college guys. And I was at um, Perfect Game National earlier this year and mm -hmm. um, working with, you know, some of the most incredible kids. And they fill out these forms and they tell us, you know, things about them. And one of them is, you know, adversity that you've faced in life. And uh, there's a kid named Ian Mahler. He'll be a first round pick, no question, catcher out of Iowa. And he wrote being black, being a black athlete. Um, mm -hmm. This kid's what, 17, 18 years old. He's using his platform. He, he wants to speak out, but there are other kids who aren't as confident or are concerned that if they speak out or, or try to speak on social issues, racial issues, it's going to affect their future, right? It's, it's, a, it's a valid concern. What do you say to those kids um, who, who want to speak up because they know that being quiet is not an option anymore, um, mm -hmm. but maybe are concerned about something like that? I say reach out. Um, I think that's a big part of why we wanted to start the Players Alliance is having somewhere to go, somewhere to look to as a reference, you know, as a resource. Like, hey, guys, like, what do you have on this situation here? Am I tripping or is there something off about it? Um, when you don't have a lot to relate to, when you don't have a lot to influence you, it's tough to know. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, again, going back to the two rookie of the years for 2020, both of them said, you know, you don't realize certain things are attainable when you don't see someone like yourself in that position. Mm -hmm. And just being there again, just being there for the for the amateur athletes, being there for the rookies coming up, being in there for each other is guys as you further along further along in the game, mm -hmm. um, someone like myself, you just want to have people you can talk to and reach out to. So that's what I would say to those young athletes. Um, and I can definitely understand the young man you brought up, Ian, him being a catcher and being black, like that doesn't happen very often in this yeah. game anymore. Yeah. So, you know, much love to him and I wish him the best. We'll have to send that to him. And also the, the work that you guys are doing with the Players Alliance is so admirable. Really awesome to see. And, and your messages uh, resonated throughout baseball, for sure, for you know people in the community and then activists Thank as well. You. It was really, it was awesome to see. Nicely done. So among all of the different things that we dealt with throughout uh, 2020 offensively, you had your best year with the Cubs. Now, a lot of people say, well, Jason Hayward, he's a, a defensive guy, and I'm sure you take a lot of pride in that because you play excellent defense. But you showed up in the box this season, which was pretty awesome. So what was the difference for you this year with the Cubs? Were you like, I'm just going to go out there and ball. I think there were a lot of things that became normal for me. I mean, this was my fifth year with the organization. I knew what to expect, um, had my routine. Um, I think I did a great job of keeping things simple when it came to my timing. Timing is everything, um, pitching and hitting. But in the batter's box, I was able to have great timing and, and give myself a lot of room for error, which is pretty much who I am. You know, not I was always looking to be a free swinger, take my walks, have a team at bat, and take what the game gives me. Um, and on the other side of that, I think, you know, having you know, Rossi as my manager and, and him sending me out there to right field every day and having a, a different, you know, a player's mindset of communication on how I'm going to be used on a daily basis goes a long way. Speaking of David Ross, by the way, uh, he was making some massive defensive subs during the Alec Mills no-hitter, mm -hmm. and you were like, no, 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 buddy. No, no, I'm staying <laughs> in. I'm staying in. So why was that so important for you to stay in that game until the final out? Um, I mean, to me, that's, that's why we're there, you know, to, to be there for your teammates, to, to finish out a game, 
it's this point in the season for us in September. Um, no, in my mind, there was no question. Like, you asked me to come out of the game, the guy's throwing a no-hitter, and I'm, I'm one of the best defenders in the game of baseball. Yeah. Uh, who am I to step out <laughs> of the game right there when, you know, when, when he's going for something that that's can never happen again? Um, so I just didn't want to take that for granted. I wanted to be a part of the history with him, with Alec, but also just be there for support. You know, if I'm not doing that, if I'm being uh, one of the leaders on this team and I say, all right, guys, I'm going to go you know, take a breather right now, then I feel like that that just kind of sets a bad tone, you know, for, for the rest of our season. And you know, coming off a big win the night before, keeping some momentum um, with, with Alec making history right there, I think that had a lot to do with us as a group staying together mentally um, and finishing off winning that division, which is a tough division. What do you say to, what do you say to your manager? Obviously like, right. Just as a player now a manager, like what do you, what did that conversation go? <laughs> How did that go? Um, well, Rossi, I feel like has very good feel with things like that. And he knew we had been through a tough stretch. Our schedule is obviously tough. I think we were just coming off that um, another last homestand stretch with double headers with St. Louis, I believe. And he wanted to try and give guys a breather. You know, we've been grinding. You know, it's been a demanding schedule. There were days because of COVID, we flew on the same day um, as our games going on the road just to try and stay out of the hotel um, that much less. And you know, he, he came to me and said, hey, you know, I know we got a big lead right now. Um, you want to get a breather? And I was like, no, like, I'm staying in the game until he comes out of the game. I didn't even say until he gives up a hit. I said, when he comes out of the game, I'll come out of the game. And, and that was the end of discussion. I was like, all right, now get away from me and go, let's, let's, let's go back to work. You know, we got something else to focus on. So it was, it was cool for, for Alec, for sure. He came up and let me know. He appreciated it. He was humbled by it. But to me, in my mind, that's, that's my job, and, and that's what I'm here for. I feel like that tone of being an amazing teammate resonates throughout your entire career. It's what defines you. I mean, let's go back to 2016, right? So I was just checking on Twitter and I wanted to read you this tweet from the Chicago sports site, Bleacher Nation. Oh. So they said, describe the best game you've ever seen in five words. And Connie, who is a huge Cubs fan, <laughs> said Jason Hayward's locker room speech. That was her answer, which I thought was so endearing. So for those that don't remember during game seven, you gave an amazing speech during a rain delay, which completely changed the tone and the attitude. Cubs go out, win the game, win the World Series, and the rest is history. So for you, in terms of being a, a teammate and inspiring those players, where did those words come from? Where did you generate that energy to be able to completely flip the script? I felt like winning was the most important thing. And in my mind, sometimes that happens to a fault, and, and I'll be too much of a teammate and and not you know take care of myself and not not put myself first and and you have to find that balance I feel like and I feel like I've done a good job of, of finding that at this point but you know at that moment for me it's like I don't care what just happened I don't care what anybody's numbers are I don't care you know how you guys are feeling right now like we've been doing this all year long and when we were down big when we were up big we never we always finished the game and and we overcame everything we had to and I and I let them know I was like Every team throughout the season overcomes adversity. They have things that they may not agree with, like someone makes an error, manager might make a move that they don't you know, understand or whatever it is. I'll say, we overcame that more times than anyone to this point, and we're going to do it again right here. So let's go out there and finish our way, finish the way we play the game of baseball, and then you had other people chime in. Um, it, it was easy for us to buy in. I mean, we knew we were going to be in that moment. When it comes down to being into the World Series, you have to believe that, I feel like, and, and that team believed it. And after that discussion, we went out there and believed it even more. 
and we backed it up once again. And I think that's a big part of why we were champs. Can you, Can you walk us through that scene? Yeah. Was I mean, uh, so the rain's coming down. You all come. You all come in. Is everyone just like getting on their phones or walking around? Or when did you say like this is the moment that I need to to be inspirational? So the the home run happened in the eighth inning. I think Roger Roger hit the home run in the eighth of Chappie. And you know, at this moment, we all we're all pretty aware of how we've all been used. We know it's Game Seven. This is the last opportunity to go play a baseball game in 2016. We know Chappie had been used so much that series, and we knew the uh, Indians had had a good look at him a number of times. So when they hit that home run, I wasn't, I can't say I was surprised. I'm not saying I expected him to give up a home run, but you got to give the other team credit. Both teams have made it to a game seven. So he hits that home run, and I'm like, all right, you know, here we go. I see what's going on around us. Uh, you know, we're in Cleveland. Obviously, they had some some momentum swing right there, and and my mind is like, hey, we've been here before. You know, we're going to have to come back. We're going to have to hold them right here. So, literally, we go in the dugout to start the ninth inning. It ends up to where I get to second base on a fielder. Well, I got on base from a fielder's choice, still second. They throw the ball away. I get to third base. And I'm like, this is what we do right here. I'm on third right now. Javi's already had a home run in the game. And we got one out. And he works it to a 3-2 count. And I'm like, we're going to score. We got decks on deck. Like, Something good is going to happen to this, and we're going to be who we are. We're going to be the Cubbies. We're going to find a way to get the lead right back. And, you know, Hobbies has to bunt. And I think that threw everyone for a loop because, for one, his at-bats in the postseason had been great. It was a big part of why we got to that moment. Um, he already had a home run that game against Kluber, who has, to me, in my mind, one of the best cutters in the game of baseball, especially how he was feeling that season. So he was asked to bunt. He ends up fouling it off, strikes out. Then Dex hits the ball up the middle. Lindor makes a great diving play. And then the game's still tied. And for me, I'm like, I feel like everyone, myself included, was pissed off, was frustrated, was confused. We're in a rut right now. And I think that was the first time that season I saw us all just kind of be stuck in a moment. No one was ready to turn the page. And immediately when I saw it start raining, I'm like, all right, we're not going in the clubhouse. We didn't even make it to the clubhouse. We went to the weight room right there down the steps. And I'm like, hey, Rossi, um, tell guys, hey, I want to talk to him real quick in the weight room. Real quick. I'm like, it won't take too long. Like, let's just go over here. I got to say something. Um, come in there. You know, Chappie's crying already. Chapman, the road is Chapman. He, he's crying. He cares so much. He knows he's poured everything he can into getting us into a game seven. Um, other guys are just kind of quiet. And I started to say what I had to say. And like I said, other people chimed in right away. And again, it didn't take much for that team to get going. It didn't take much for us to be on the same page and want to push through adversity. And we did just that right after that moment. Can I get a personalized like pump up, get your <laughs> get your ass up message and get out there? Can I get one of those from you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a, a get your ass up message because obviously it, it wasn't all pretty. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't rated PG. Uh, by any means, but it was it was what we needed, and it was fun. Um, you know, in in that moment, I didn't realize what I was doing mm. as far as being a part of history. I just knew that I was being a part of a great ball club and offering what I could offer at the time. And you know, I had multiple guys come up to me right after that and said, "Bro, you're gonna be remembered forever for this." And I'm like, "Okay, I hear you, but let's go win the damn game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's let, let's let's go do this, and and let's have fun the way we have fun." And then we went right back to work, and you know, that team again. You know, over and over again, you know, just made me proud to be a part of because we looked challenged right in the eye and, and loved it. 
What an incredible memory. Yeah. And you will be remembered for that for the, wow. for the rest of your life, for sure. Absolutely. All right. We have a segment on our show called Back of the Baseball Card. It's a little bit of trivia for you. It's new. Wait, hold on. It's new. It's exciting. It's new. It's new. It's new. Right. You can do a dance. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're going to ask you some questions about your career and see how well you know yourself. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> How about the farthest home run you have hit since joining the Cubs in 2016? Farthest home run I've hit since joining the Cubs. Oof. Um, Here's a side note. You've hit 53 homers since joining the Cubs. So of those 53, which one went the furthest? Was it the Grand Slam walk-off home run by any chance? You would think that it would be, potentially. That's in the running but it was actually your first home run after the World Series, April 21st, 2017. Do you remember anything about that home run? You're facing the Reds. Facing the Reds. I don't remember this home run. For some <laughs> it was your first home run of the season in 2017. You hit an absolute bomb off Reds pitcher Tim Adelman, and it went 434 feet. I mean, you just launched it. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't remember that one for, for whatever reason. I should remember that, huh? That's wild. That's, That's cool. what we're here for. We got your back. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate you bringing up good stuff that I didn't remember. This. You know, oh, sometimes yeah, this is the all bad stuff, stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, what about your hardest hit ball as a Cub? Digging into that hit. exit, below. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, in San Diego, 2019, a home run off of a 100-mile-per-hour pitch. That's my guess. Okay, that's a great guess, but <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> so this one was right. a single off Eric Fetty. It went 112.7 miles per hour off your bat. You also went three for four that day. Does that ring a bell? Nope, I don't, I don't remember that one either. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't remember that one either. Wow. The cool thing, it was a grounder, and it only went like 21 feet, and then it bounced uh, through the right side. And okay. It was your hardest hit ball that you've ever hit in, in your Cubs see, career. Like, see, I'm thinking like, all right, like this had to be against like a big game, you know, a rival, something like that. <laughs> no, it was just a grounder through the right side. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> gotcha. All right. How about the pitcher you had the best batting average against? Who do you absolutely crush? Career-wise, I feel like I don't know if – see, in my mind now it's tough to weigh like how many chances I've had against a guy or – or numbers. Um, this one is I think I have good numbers against Arietta, and, and I feel like for a while I had good numbers against Strasburg. Who, who you got for me? Okay, so you have not great numbers against both those guys. Okay. But you crush John Lester. Oh yeah. Career. Okay. See, I, <laughs> come on. <laughs> see, that's that one got me because he's still a teammate, or he was he was still most recently a teammate. Still okay. All right. Johnny, so you have a 407 have, average against him, 11 for 27, four doubles and a homer. That's pretty good. <laughs> I remember the first time facing Johnny in Boston. Um, I think I got three hits off him. I had a single to left, double left center off a curveball, then a cutter double down the right field line. And that home run came in Atlanta, right center off a front door cutter. So, I, okay, I remember those at bats. Look at that memory. There it is. <laughs> there, there it is. There, there it is. is. Now, wait, quick side note. When you guys become teammates, like, do you bring that up? You're like, hey, man, remember when I – does that happen? 
No, no chance. Not especially <laughs> not with not with Johnny. Not at not all. With Johnny. Um, yeah. you know, on his day to pitch, you know, it took me took me three years to actually be comfortable with like even acknowledging he was there on his day to pitch, you know, because at first you're just like, all right, this is John Lester. Like he's, he's about to go out here and you know, be ready to kick someone's ass. And all right, he's locked in like straight face. Mm-hmm. But then last couple of years, like, what's up, John? What's up, Jay? I'm like, okay. All right, we're good. <laughs> I, I, I can say what's up to him while he's pitching, but um, no, I definitely didn't bring up anything about any numbers. against John at all. <laughs> That was a good idea. Okay, so everyone remembers their first home run, right? Mm-hmm. But what about your first triple? Who did you hit your first career triple off of? First career triple was off Ryan Dempster. That's my guess. A solid guess, my friend. Dang. <laughs> but Dang. according um, to our notes, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Someone off the Reds, maybe? Yes, yes. Okay. I don't I don't remember who it was, but some, someone off the Reds. Aaron Harang, May 19th, 2010. There we go. Okay. So a decade ago, okay. a.k.a. your first year at 20 years old. <laughs> a decade ago. That, that feels like forever. Yeah. You're a baby. Yeah. Um, all right. Final one. You let off a game with a homer twice in your career. Do you remember the two pitchers that you did it against? Vance Worley. Whoa! Was awesome. In, Pitt, in Pittsburgh. Yep. Um. Dang. Come on. I'll give you a hint. The oh. second one was the same year, both in 2014. You're <laughs> facing the Mets. Facing the Mets. At City Field, let off the game with a homer. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's that's pretty damn cool. Um, <laughs> I still remember. I don't remember Zach, who that one was off of. Zach Wheeler. Oh, I'm opposite field homer. Left remember down, down the left field, <laughs> down the left field line. Okay, that might have been, I think it was my 11th homer of the year or something, to 11 or 12. Okay, all right, there, there we go. Because I, it's funny because I know Zach, he's from Georgia, and we, we actually yeah. work out together, and we played both played at East Cobb. Okay, dang, I didn't remember that one. What, what would you rate that, that, that new segment? What do you got for us? I think that's really cool. I think it's really cool from the player side because, uh, you know, there's stuff that, you know, you try to remember everything. And, you know, again, like I was saying before, like you usually try to forget the bad stuff. You try not to hold on to that. But when there's positive things that you don't remember, uh, you have to kind of dig deep and try to remember and, and pick out which is what. Um, I think that was pretty cool. So thanks, thanks for having me do that. Okay. Love it. All right, time for our rapid fire. We'll ask you questions and you come up with the first thing. Uh, that comes to your mind. So if you have to pick a custom-made walk-up song, you have to choose one of these guys to make the song for you. Are you picking Chance the Rapper or are you picking Jay-Z? Jay-Z. I mean, he named his dog Hope, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Okay, what about the most recent conversation that you had with 2020 NL MVP and your friend, Freddie Freeman? We actually went to brunch in Atlanta when I was there and, and I got to see him and his son and his wife, Chelsea. Um, yeah, we just caught up a little bit, talked about him having COVID, talked about, um, you know, them, them expecting more kids on the way here in the near future. Um, and then my text to him, I believe I sent him a, a gift. I don't know if y'all have seen the movie Rounders, 
uh, at the end where, you know, I think it's Matt Damon, he, he wins the last hand and the guy's like, pay that man his money. <laughs> you know, so 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 that's that's what I sent free um, in text, and I said, "Congrats, man! I love you. Uh, you're the best." So uh, super oh. happy for him. That that was our last little dialogue. I have yet to call him because I know how he is. I know he's like he was getting swamped with stuff. So I'll call him and catch him off guard. Love that. So good. All right, uh, a decade in the big leagues. But if you could have a mulligan on one thing in your career, what would it be? I would like to play. I don't know if I want to do over. Dang, I guess I'm not, I'm not going to play by the rules. I would just say I would like to play a couple more years under Bobby Cox. Mm. Okay. It's a great, great answer. answer. Yeah. Okay, what about yay or nay for universal DH? Yay. All right. The golf. Yeah. How yeah. about the golf foursome with current major leaguers? That would be your, your dream foursome. I don't golf. Top top golf. So maybe if, if we're okay. gonna do top golf, then I would say Dexter Fowler, Anthony Rizzo, and I'll, I'll put Freddie Freeman in there. Got guys, three guys that golf, but I don't golf like I said. But I'll go out there and we would have fun, having some drinks, having some food. No. Good group. good company. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned Dex. We talked to Dansby Swanson earlier this year, and he said that people confuse him for Charlie Colberson all the time, and he's actually signed <laughs> autographs as Charlie. So have you okay. ever done that with Dex? No, I've never signed an autograph with Dex, but I have been in places where people think that we're the, the other person. <laughs> um, I probably get that I'm Dex more than he's gotten that he's me. Um, I remember walking to eat some food in Chicago, um, walking to Tavern on Rush actually in Gold Coast right there. And someone was like, hey man, like how's your hamstring? And this is in 2016 when Dex hurt his hamstring um, leading into the All-Star break. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's, that's not me. That's, that's, that's just not me. <laughs> so, but, it, but it's all good. Um, if you guys have seen my IG, there's a picture of him and I when, when I was 14 and he was 18. And we're working out at the same gym um, up, in, up in Kennesaw, Georgia. That's so funny. I just sent that to Danny. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, the height difference is pretty. I mean, he's got a couple inches on you, right? But you guys were four years apart at that time. Oof, we were four years apart. Um, our trainer, Rocky, he was actually like, look at him. He was like, y'all look the same. He was like, but Jason's already bigger than you, Dex. He's going to be bigger than you watch. Um, <laughs> but no, nah, it, was, it, it, was, it was cool to meet him then. I mean, Dex has always been the same person. He's never changed. He's, he's a lot of fun to be around. All right. Um, one thing about Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, Brizzo, that most people don't know. Most people, I believe most people don't know that they are very big Disney fans when it comes to music, Disney radio. Um, Chris likes Moana a lot. He likes, um, what else did he say he likes? I forget what else he said he likes this year. I, I should remember it. But Riz, him, like when it comes to the music, Tony will turn on The Little Mermaid. He will turn on The Lion King soundtrack. Um you know, things like that, he'll put it on loud as hell in the clubhouse and everybody's like, okay, like get your headphones in. And then, then he'll bounce and he'll go to the cage and he'll start his routine right before the game. 
Um, but I think that's that may be something a lot of people don't know is they their closet. Um, well, I would say closet to everyone else. With <laughs> us, we know what they like, but they're big Disney fans when it comes to music. I didn't see that coming. That's an excellent answer. Thank you for that. Ooh. Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Classic. So, <laughs> Jason, nominated for Roberto Clemente this year. You've been involved in so many different community outreach programs in Chicago, Hayward Family Fund, Future Ties. You partnered with Mask and Chicago Food Bank back in March. Like, you, you give so, so much. So, could you give us a little insight? Is there a project that you're working on outside of baseball that's coming up? At the moment, um, the Players Alliance, we are taking our proceeds from this past season, from Jackie Robinson weekend, um, from the that Wednesday game that, that a lot of us sat out and, and for the games that people sat out for. Um, you know, we're taking those proceeds and doing like a pull-up and, and giving um, across the country. We have it on the website, actually, playersalliance.com, I believe it is. And you can go on there and see the dates um, in December. I'm going to try my best to be at both, but I'll be at the Chicago one. Um, I may may be able to make the Atlanta one if I'm down there visiting family. But right now, that's on the agenda. Um, I was a part of um, Athletes for Justice and us helping out on the west side of Chicago in Austin. And they started a, a, a fresh market called Austin Harvest. And this is kind of their soft opening until the rest of the construction happens where they build this market and, and put it in the neighborhood. And we actually replace a liquor store over there to try and help people have somewhere to go. That's um, a positive place, a positive vibe. There's a lot, I think they said at the time there were 20 liquor stores in a small, super close radius um, in, in that area. And this is in the same area that um, By the Hand Club, another nonprofit in, in Chicago, has began a, a school building process where they have, I think they already have an elementary school they're working on finalizing or finishing up the construction of the middle school now. And they have a big project to where they're trying to have the uh, whole charter program. They're trying to have a high school, trying to have a college and so on. But just being a part of a few of those things this year was huge um, for me because it makes me feel humble. It makes me feel good about, about this city and, and the optimism that it has. In Chicago and it's, it's always been genuine always been love but just want to make a difference that way. Just hearing you speak about community outreach is, is super inspiring and you've done it throughout your entire career. Listen I'm not trying to push you out of baseball because we love watching you play <laughs> baseball but have you ever thought of what happens after baseball? I have and right now at the moment um, what comes to my mind first is to be a dad um, to, to be a, a, a quote-unquote normal human being and, and kind of settle into that role and, and find my strengths and find areas that I want to work on in that. Um, I mean, that's, that's life, that's living. I know a lot of guys, I tell them all the time, the guys that have kids already while we're playing, I'm like, you guys are superheroes, man. I don't know how you do it. Um, getting up every day, having a family, leaving them and, and coming back home. But I kind of want to find my stride in that first. Um, you know, that could happen you know, while I'm still playing, have, have a couple of kids, but I think, so again, that's my immediate thought. Um, but I think after that, I would like to do something business-wise. I'm not sure what, um, but I want to try and continue business ventures because I think I want to try and be a part of community and, and affect that and impact that in that way. So making money, yes, that's always a great thing, but 
doing something positive with the money and being able to set up other people um, to have control of their own futures and, and kind of leave something for, behind for my family as well. We've already planted the roots and you've done an excellent job with it for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of that, so you mentioned Players Alliance a couple times and kind of on the same track, you want to invest in the future of the game and, and, and all these rising stars coming up. So in your eyes, who is the next rising star in the game? The next rising star, I will say Tim Anderson. Mm, yes. I, th I think he's, he's the next rising star. Um, I think, you know, everyone, I don't think guys realize, especially at an early age, um, how much your team around you has to do with your success. And I think if his team on the South side, if they continue to build around him and, and continue to make moves to be competitive, he, he's going to have a lot of success in his future and, and he can be one of the bright stars in this game. He's already done you know, a lot. Um, you know, he, he's shown a lot of promise. He's, He's shown that he can go out there and, and do it over and over again. But I think he can keep that going and be one of the guys that people see playing the game for a long time. Yeah, we talked to Lucas Giolito recently on the podcast, and he was saying, I wouldn't be the player that everyone knows me to be if it wasn't for Tim Anderson because he brings so much attention to this team and his business acumen off the field is, you know, incredible. And then he just, yeah, he had a lot of amazing things to, to say about TA. So we love that answer. Hey, um, before we get to our, our final segment here, you mentioned your fiance. Is there a wedding in the future? What are you guys uh, planning on that? Well, of course, like like everyone, COVID kind of threw things off. Um, sure. No, going into this year, we had planned to this month um, to go look in Italy at venues, and then we were going to pick a date once that happened, once we found a venue. So, of course, we haven't found a venue because at, at this point, we, we don't think we're, we're going to – have a ceremony um but we haven't picked a date just yet but i'm thinking um you know, we're both thinking hopefully um something happens before next season you know we go, go to the courthouse get the legal stuff done and then if we can have a ceremony or if we can have a party uh a get together with people we'll do that as soon as possible um just to celebrate and, and kind of enjoy the moment but that's kind of where we're at had to put things on hold because because of the kind of year it's been well congratulations yes thank you massive Appreciate congrats it. Yeah. Okay. Totally separate. We end every podcast with an embarrassing story. So okay. we make our guests tell us something really embarrassing, whether it's from their childhood, their past, or something that happened recently. Um, Chialito told us a story about how he put the wrong cleats on going into the game and he had to come out of the mm -hmm. game to get his, his shoes on. So whatever you can think of, that's super embarrassing. That'll entertain our listeners. Ooh. Oh, man. Really embarrassing. Try, I gotta, I gotta think. I, w I wish you had one of those to dig up for me. Then I'd be like, oh, okay, I can, <laughs> I can piggyback off of that. Um, Baseball Reference just has like a subsection of embarrassing stories from every player. <laughs> I will say, um, I'm gonna cheat a little bit again because I feel like I gotta tie something together. Um, I'll give you guys three. Um, when I was five, first started playing baseball, I feel like this is anything goes, right? You're five years old, T-ball, you don't know anything, coach pitch. I hit the ball my first at bat, and I ran straight to third base. Uh, I, did not, I did not run to, to first base. I'm thinking, okay, I saw the righties go this way, so I'm left-handed. I'm going to run this way and outsmart everybody, and I'm going to go the other way, so they're not even going to pick up on it. Um, oh, that's so good. It was one time that in Atlanta – I ran out 
on the field um, to start a game. And like, you would have thought I did like a tarp slide, but no, no rain, no tarp, just went out there and tripped in front of everyone and <laughs> face plant laid there for a second. And I was like, okay, let's get up. Let's, let's, let's head on out to our position. Um, <laughs> that, that, that was embarrassing. And then I guess one on a, that I can look back and laugh at it now. It's 2011. This is first year struggling in the big leagues. It's also my second year. Um, I didn't start the game. We're in Miami on my birthday. I get called to pinch run in this game. And I get to first base. I, I don't believe there was a steal sign on. And it was a balk move. I'll give, I'll give myself that, the benefit of the doubt. It was a balk move from the pitcher, but I got picked off on my birthday, didn't start the game, pinch running. And I was like, all right, yeah, just go sit your ass at the end of the dugout and, and think about what you did. Um, I would say that was, that was pretty embarrassing. And then were you able to fully celebrate your birthday after that? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> not, 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 wait, not wait. in the baseball sense. Was that your 21st birthday? That was, no, that was my 22nd birthday. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> But my 21st birthday, I remember we had the day off on that on that day, but we played the next day in Houston. I hit a home run. Um, and in so I think three years in a row, in 2008, 9, and 10, I hit a home run on my birthday. So minor leagues, I hit a home run on my birthday two years in a row. And then in the big leagues, hit a home run on my birthday. Um, but in Houston, I remember, like, not drinking. I didn't drink till I was 21. I didn't drink till the end of that year. Okay. Um, and, until new, I didn't drink until New Year's. I mean, I didn't go to college in high school. Didn't drink, whatever. Um, so I remember my twenty-first birthday pretty vividly. Good on you, man. That should have been the back of the baseball card. That's right. Oh gosh. <laughs> Homer's on your yeah. birthday. Best way to celebrate. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Jay, hey, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast with us today. This was super insightful. And thank you for letting us pick your brain and delving into uh, this year, 2020, which was uh, a tough one for everyone. But we appreciate you sharing all of your insights. Uh, it was really great to have you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for letting me share. And thanks for yeah. bringing up good stuff that I didn't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. that. That'll go a long way in my book. I'll, I'll always say you guys stuff. are all right. Uh, thank yeah. you. Thanks, dude. All thank you so stuff. much. Absolutely. Absolutely. You enjoy your holiday and the rest of the year, and uh, we look yeah. forward to seeing you in 2021. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Hopefully, we get to play some normal baseball and uh, see some fans come out to the parks again sooner than later. Yeah. Yes. Be good. All, All right. right. Take care. Stay safe. Thanks, Take dude. care. You too.